So there's an old movie. It's probably older than some of you guys. Um, Karen and I watched once or twice, maybe. It's um, called City of Angels. It's a really old movie. It's back in 1998. Meg Ryan is a surgeon, and she loses a patient on the table. Um, what's the guy's name? Nicholas Cage is an angel. His name is Seth. And he comes to collect God's people for him when they die. Um, so, Seth can let humans see him, but it's his choice. So he lets Meg Ryan see him. And um, he says that he's from God. And she says, I don't believe in God. And this is why I'm telling you this story. I love this line. He says, some things are true whether you believe them or not, right? I mean, we all know this unless we're um, postmodern. We understand that some things are true whether you, can believe, whether you believe them or not. So I looked up the word truth. Very simple definition. The real state of things. The real state of things. It's not how you feel about it. Again, postmodern relativism. It's, you know, facts are facts. Right? Facts are facts. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. The facts are the facts. Biology is biology. To use an example that's much talked about in the modern culture. Another word I looked up in the dictionary is the word reality. It says, the sum of all that is real, absolute, and unchangeable. Again, I know this is annoying to your average postmodern. But truth and reality are a couple of words that immediately came to my mind when I read the passage tonight. And you can go ahead and turn to Colossians if you like. We're going to be in Colossians again, chapter 3. We're picking up at verse 18. Now, if you were here in September, you know that I preached the first 17 verses of Colossians 3 back in September under the sermon titles, How Not to Wander Off. Remember? How Not to Wander Off from the Faith. And we looked at those first 17 verses. So I'm not going to re-preach the 17 verses that, that I covered in September. If you weren't here, obviously you can go to the podcast site. You can download those and listen to those. But the two words that came to my mind as I studied the text was truth and reality. Truth and reality. And then the second one, the third one is authority. So I'm obviously trying to make a point here, and I hope, hopefully you'll see it soon. The, the definition defines the word authority like this. The power to command, enforce laws, exact obedience, and to judge. So this is something that human beings have always had trouble with. Some of you have trouble with it. Right? Truth and authority. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've been doing this for a while. And you run into people who profess to be Christians, and they have a huge problem with God's truth. I mean, a huge problem with truth. They simply will not submit to it because they feel differently about it, right? They will not submit to the truth of God. And if you don't submit to the truth of God, well, what, what else are you doing? You're not submitting to the authority of God. Yes, the Bible is God's word. doesn't matter if you like it or like it. God is who he is. He does what he does. He's not trying to win a popularity contest. He's, he's not really trying to, you know, 
make you like him. That's not his goal. Truth and authority. People who have tr trouble with the Bible and the true church, it's always about truth and authority. Mankind has always had this problem. Again, you just go back to Genesis chapter 3. I tell you this all the time. You know this if you're biblically literate. It's not that men don't understand. What is it? It's that men what? Do understand. <laughs> it's not that they don't understand. They do understand. They understand that God is saying, I'm God and you're not. And men don't like it. Right? Men don't like it. Men want to be little sovereigns. But God is having none of that. It's not that men don't understand. It's that they do and they killed God. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying about himself. So rejection of the truth is never about lack of understanding. It's not an intellectual decision. It's a moral decision. If you reject what God says in the Bible, the 66 books, Protestant Bible, we understand Catholics have other things in their Bibles. Um, if you have a problem with it, you're, you're having, you have a problem with the truth of God and the authority of God. This is no small matter, obviously, to the God who reigns. Again, this is a moral issue. It's why the world looks like it looks. Why? You know, I get this question, obviously. I bet you get it, too. Jim, why is the world so screwed up? If God is good and God is omnipotent, why is the world screwed up? Well, Genesis chapter 3, and, and every human being since then, what? Has a problem with truth and authority. Why is the world messed up? Because you and I and every human being that's ever walked this planet has a problem with truth and authority. Obviously, until we come into relationship with Christ. Humanity doesn't misunderstand the truth. It holds it down, right? Romans 1, 18. Humanity doesn't misinterpret the truth. It exchanges it for a lie. Romans 1, 25. Humanity doesn't misconstrue the truth. It hates the truth. Romans 1, 8, uh, 28. It's why the world looks the way it looks. It's a rejection of truth and authority. It's why marriages and the modern family is in such a state of utter disarray. It's a rejection of truth and authority, right? God's truth and authority. Even many marriages that, that carry the label of Christian, you understand why I'm, getting it, why I'm getting into marriage in just a minute. If you've already looked at the text, you can see it right off the bat. Verse 18. Um, it's very, very simple. Husbands and fathers are not submitting to the truth and authority of God. Wives and mothers are not submitting to the truth and authority of God. Children are not submitting to the truth and authority of God. Marriages and families were created by God. They do not work without Him. I know that the culture has a million good ideas about how to make your family and your marriage better. <laughs> if it doesn't line up with this, it's no good at all. It's counterfeit, right? It's... Uh, not helpful in the least. So Colossians, Paul, and we got into it last couple of weeks, right? Paul is saying the Christ plus something gospels are always wrong. Christ plus 
Judaism, Christ plus mysticism, Christ plus legalism or asceticism. It's always wrong. It's always demonic. It's always false. So uh, I've been saying this to you all along. This is the point that Paul is making. Again, we saw it the last several weeks quite clearly. Of course, in my view, there's no greater blasphemy than to say you need to add something to Jesus. Um, it's just demonic to say you need something in addition to Jesus to be saved. It's just simply demonic. Christ is all we need. So in chapter 3 of Colossians, the Holy Spirit uh, does what He always does. He turns the corner, right? First two chapters, doctrine. The last few chapters, application. It's always this way in the Bible. Doctrine, application. So we're supposed to receive the truth and then live the truth, right? Under the authority of God. It's what the young adults are learning in our study of the book of James this semester. James says, don't merely hear the word. What, is, what, what does James say? We're to what? Do the word. If there's, the application is always there. There's no such thing as, you know, just simply being an orthodox Christian. I'm orthodox. I believe the right stuff. Well, Satan believes the right stuff. You know, I, I don't think this is widely understood. Satan believes the theology more than you do. The demons believe it probably more than you do. They tremble before God. It, but it, here's the difference. It doesn't move their heart and it doesn't move their life. If you're a Christian, your heart has been moved and changed and your life is changed if you have work, if you have faith, but you have no works, what? It's dead. It's useless. Again, James chapter 2. So we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is the biblical call. Paul is defending it. But he's also saying there's always application. There's always submission to truth and authority. It's always visible in the Christian life. This is not theoretical. We don't just come here on Sunday and talk propositional truth. Yes, we talk propositional truth, but propositional truth is supposed to inform how you live out in the world, right? As you submit to the truth and authority of God. And what is the only reasonable response to what Jesus Christ has done for you? What is the only reasonable response to radical grace and radical love and radical sacrifice? What is it? It's what it's application. It's radical obedience. It's always this way. This is the story of the New Testament. So just briefly, chapter 3, I'll take you down through the first 17 verses just very quickly. Uh, the Holy Spirit told us that if you've been raised up with Christ, set your mind on the things above, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Therefore, what? Verses 12 through 17. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Here we go. Application. This is who you are in the world. Heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Beyond all these, put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful, doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is what we talked about in September. How not to wander off. 
It's because we're, we've laid our hands on what God is, how God has changed us. And, and it's, again, it's not theoretical. We actually live this. It, it matters when we get up in the morning. What God has said in his word matters more than anything else when I get up in the morning. It matters more than my wife. It matters more than my kids. It matters more than my bank account and my job. What God has said. Beloved, this is how believers are to understand and live the word, right? And here's the thing. If I get God's word right, I'll treat my wife better, right? If, if, if I get God's word right, I'll love my kids better. You know, some people say, I've been accused of this, right? You know, oh, well, you don't love your family like you ought. Because you love God. Well, anybody that thinks can see right through that. In loving God, we actually learn how to love those around us all the more. So as we get into the text tonight, the Holy Spirit is continuing to exhort us to apply the word. So here we go. Verse 18. All wives and future wives. Okay. God's talking to you. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Right? Now, we, we understand that feminists hate this. We, know, we understand that the culture hates this kind of talk. Why does the culture hate this kind of talk? We, we know, right? Well, because the culture hates God. The media hates God. Academia hates God. God says, I created marriage. I created men. I created women. I created marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands. You can, hey, God gives you, God gives you the will, right? You exercise your will. If you're, if you're married or you one day will be married, but you're too proud to, you know, you're too liberated. Listen, do you understand that if you read a history book, do you understand that Christianity has liberated more women than any other so-called religion or philosophy on the face of the planet? If you actually understand your, your history and a little bit of cultural here. Why is there so much angst about this? One, because it's misunderstood. And two, because men hate the truth. Have you heard it said that Paul's a chauvinist? He must be a chauvinist. Who would talk like this? Who talks like this? Wives, submit to your husband. Who talks like this? Of course, you call Paul a chauvinist. You know what you're doing. <laughs> you're critiquing God. But, but you hear it all the time in the liberal church, right? They critique Paul. Paul gets critiqued all the time. Uh, it's like he wasn't a real apostle or something, but they, they, they're always after the apostle Paul. They're always marginalizing, marginalizing him and discounting him and putting him on the shelf. This is a backhanded critique against God. It's like saying, oh, the Apostle Paul got in there. God wasn't a big enough and powerful enough God and sovereign enough to keep Paul from messing up the revelation. So when you say, when you, when you discount the Bible, you, disc, you, you discount Paul, you discount uh, the letter to the Colossians, 
you're discounting God. I just want you to understand what you're doing. If you dismiss verse 18, Colossians chapter 3, Wives, be subject to your husbands. If you dismiss this, this is a direct insult directed at God. Don't try to say that you have an issue with Paul because Paul is writing on behalf of God. You have an issue with God. With, with God. That's right. That's who you have the issue with. Let's just be honest. Let's just have some integrity. Let's just have some integrity. That's all I ever ask of anybody. When I talk to unbelievers, I say, let's have some integrity. What does God say? Oh, you don't like it? Okay, you don't like it. Go live your life the way you want. But don't claim to be a Christian. Don't claim to be a Christian. If you will not submit, well, how did I start the sermon? If you will not submit to truth and authority, don't claim to be one. Just don't. You're not. If you've decided I will not bow the knee to God and His Word, if you've decided that, don't call yourself a Christian because you're not. Real Christians submit to truth, they submit to authority. And if you want to critique Paul, you've just critiqued your own creator. And y'all, here's the deal. We, we, you know why we know this is not a mistake or an error? God says it four times in the Bible. Did you know this? About, about wives and husbands? Four times. <laughs> he wants to make sure, yeah, that you don't get confused. Again, our text tonight, wives be subject to your husbands. First Peter chapter 3, you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Titus 2, 5, young women be subject to your husbands. Ephesians 5, wives be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Okay? And of course, plus we can add Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is a head of the church. What does submission mean? It means exactly what you think it means. Okay? To submit to one's leadership and authority. That's what it means. The husband's authority is derived from God God has set the man in the place of leadership and authority. If you don't like it, that's your business. But this is what God says. This is what God says. I want to make sure we all understand this is not about equality. Men and women are equal in the eyes of God. This is not about equality. We are equal. But there are different and complementary roles assigned by God. God, again, created marriage and the family. He sets the boundaries. He sets the rules. Why do so many marriages, even many marriages in what is called the modern church, end in dissolution? Part of the problem, if not all of the problem, not submitting to truth and authority. This is a big problem in our modern culture. So, let me make two qualifications. Obviously, this command does not extend to the point where the husband abuses the wife. Obviously, it's sad that I even have to say this, 
but I'll get misquoted if I don't say it. This does not extend to the husband's abuse or if he demands for the wife to do something that is contrary to God's revealed will in His Word. Okay? These are the two qualifications of this commandment. Wives are called to submit. We're going to talk about husbands in a minute. We're going to talk about other forms of submission. As Jesus submitted, right? Jesus condescended to serve, right? You got a problem with it? You're too good for it. Now, wait a minute. The second member of the Trinity wasn't too good. He is our model. And you know, part of the problem is, you guys know, you watch too many movies, you have this over-romanticized view of what marriage is supposed to be, what romance is supposed to be, right? So, this is a big problem. Uh, you know, I think it's Paul David Tripp, he has a book out on marriage, isn't it, isn't it called, What Did You Expect? I think that's the perfect title. What did you expect? Oh, you got two broken human beings trying to live uh, in perfect compatibility. What did you expect? And here's the deal. Without God, marriage doesn't work. Okay, now we know people can stay married without God. Um, but the, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. What's marriage all about in the first place? It's about my romantic happiness. No, it's about the glory of God. It's like everything else in the world. It's about the glory of God. You're about the glory of God and you will glorify God. Right? In your salvation or your damnation. Now, listen, we're a small group. So I think we're all, we're all talking about our salvation, but I want you to understand God is glorified in the damnation of rebels. This is just, it's a fact. It's the truth. It's biblical revelation. He's glorified in your salvation or your damnation. It's just, listen, maybe it's time to maybe be humble with the word of God and, and uh, make sure I'm worshiping the God of the Bible. I want to say this to you wives. It's not about the quality of your husband, <laughs> right? Because we're broken. God doesn't say if he's good or if he tries or he doesn't say any of that. He says, be subject, be subject to your husband and or future husband. I want to say this. You can ignore this. You can, you can just put it away, push it away. My point is, you can't legitimately misunderstand it. You, you, can, you can ignore it if you want, but you can't misunderstand it. Four times he says it. And then the fifth time he supports it. Again, if you want the text, I'll uh, send you my notes if you want them. So I hear women say, well, you know, if my husband would just lead properly... I've heard this a hundred times, right? God doesn't say that if he leads properly. He doesn't say that. That's not what God says. How did Sarah submit to Abraham, who was kind of, you know, he made some pretty big mistakes, if you know the text. Does anybody remember how, 
how the Bible says Sarah submitted to Abraham. She called him Lord. Yes, that was the cultural, uh, the appropriate uh, cultural title at that point. Do you remember what 1 Peter 3 says? You remember how she did it? How did she do it? Through her hope in God. That's how she did it. Through her hope in God. Yeah, she's broken. Abraham's broken. How does she, how does she obey God in the marriage? How does she do it? Because of her hope in God. It's all about God. Marriage is all about God. It's always all about God. <laughs> it's not about you. It's like everything else. It's not about you. This is why marriage is so important. You know, Karen and I, I won't marry unbelievers. I won't marry them. I won't put the stamp of the, 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 the church on, on an, an unbelieving union. I won't do it. And if one's, one's professes to be a Christian and one is, says they're not or they're nominal, that I, as far as I can tell, I won't marry. I just won't get involved in it, right? I'm not going to put the stamp of the gospel on a marriage like that. I'm just not going to do it. Not going to do it. Let me just say this parenthetically. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, Marriage is of God, but singleness has its benefits and advantages. And he speaks to women. He says, single, women, the single woman is free to be devoted to the Lord, but the married woman is concerned about how she may please her husband. Marriage is not obviously trouble free. So husbands and or future husbands, this is for you. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not embitter them against you. Now, obviously, what's being said here, love your wives. We, we know it. We can, we can go over to Ephesians chapter 5 and we get a deeper sense of it. Now, you know, I, some of you women were thinking, wow, I, I was, God really called me to do a hard thing. Now, listen to what he calls the men to do. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. How? How? As Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is bigger than submission. This is like, this is like, um, this is submission to the max. The man is actually, right, if we take it seriously, the man is called to a greater submission, right? To love your wife sacrificially? The, the wife in Ephesians 5 is called to respect her husband. Man, okay, this is, this is psychologically true. A man needs respect. It's just psychologically true. This has been proven. It's in the data. Women need to be, women need to be loved and treasured and cherished. It's in the data. You can go read it for you. It's in the secular data. You can go read it for yourself, right? But the husband is called to something that's, it's, it's radical, man. It's radical submission. And that we would love our wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, 1 Peter 3, 7, God says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way as she is a weaker vessel since she is a woman and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Many husbands will say to me, Jim, I'm not man enough to do this. That's right. You're not. You're not. It's a good thing you understand. You're not man enough to marry that woman. You're not. You need God every day. Right? 
you need God's help every day. It's not just beautiful prose. Yes, this is beautiful prose, but God expects us to embody what is being said here. Husbands are called to love their wives utterly, selflessly, and sacrificially. And here's the thing I want to say. It's not, it's even, even submitting to your husband as a, as a woman or loving your wife sacrificially as a man. This is not something you decide to do at one point and it's over. This is something you have to do regularly. You have to recommit yourself to this on a regular basis. You must always have this ever before you, right? It's a year in, year out thing. And, you know, on those hard spots where she's not lovable and he's not lovable, what do you do? You do what Sarah did. I would love this my spouse, because of my hope in God. This is about God. This is about me loving God. That's what this is about. My marriage is about me loving God. Now, if you don't want to love God like this, just don't, you know, don't get married. That's what the call is. That's what the Christian call is. That's what it is. Men will resist the temptation outside the home and on the internet because they've been called to love as Christ loves, right? And you prioritize your life. Jesus is first. That's non-negotiable. Jesus is first, but my wife is second. My husband is second. Not the kids. The kids are not second. The kids are never second. That's always wrong. That's blasphemous. It, it, uh, you know, it turns God's design on its head. The kids are never second. It's God. And then your spouse. So, as I was saying to you, I will only marry believers. The second thing they have to do if, if I'm going to, to marry them, and I've only done one wedding. <laughs> so, that'll tell you a lot right there. I've only done one, but they have to they have to submit to premarital counseling. Right. And then, of course, Karen and I, we hammer them. We tell them the truth, man. This is not all about Hollywood and heat. Right. Because the heat will diminish. Just the physical heat. Right. And the music and the poetry and and the ethereal joy and and ecstatic happiness right there's a deeper happiness that comes in loving like God has called you to love your spouse Hollywood's a joke you guys know this right Hollywood is a joke something not so nice came into my head but I'm not gonna say it because I'm preaching the gospel so we always tell the couple Unless you're willing to serve your spouse, you have no business getting married. Unless this is how you're coming into it. I'm going to serve my spouse. I'm going to respect and serve my spouse. I have men say to me, well, you don't know how cold she is. You don't know how difficult she can be. She nags me and she's disrespectful and she belittles me. She emasculates me in front of friends and family. That has nothing to do with what God says. God says... Love your wife as Christ has loved 
the church. Don't whine to me about how hard it is. What did you expect? This is why we counsel young people, don't you ever think about marrying a, a, a non-Christian or even a nominal Christian, right? You're setting yourself up for deep, profound, and sometimes abiding heartache. What does the unbeliever have in common with the believer? So Jesus Christ is the model. He came for the bride, right? He provides for the bride. He protects the bride. He cares for the bride. He defends the bride and he sacrifices himself for the bride. Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So there it is. Brings it all together. Be subject to one another in the fear of God. This is what marriage is. If you're not interested in this, don't get married. Don't get married. Now, you can go get married in a secular sense, but if you're not interested in these things, you should never get married in the church because this is what God says. In God's church, God says this. This is what marriage is. If, if you're not on board with it, don't get married in the church. Go get your secular marriage. But don't. Mock me by getting married in the church when you have no intention. So there's so much to say here. Let me just say this. I, I got to finish the text. There's so much to say here. But here's the deal. We don't have time to fully develop it. But suffice to say, husbands, submit to the truth and authority of God's word. Wives, su submit to the truth and authority of God's word, period. That's all I've got to say. So, you know, here's the application do the word. Do the word, right? Do the word. And treat your spouse at least like this. What did verses 12 through 14 say? With compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Beyond all these things, put on love. We're supposed to treat our, our brethren in the church like this. So at least treat your spouse like this. Selfish and insecure media indoctrinated modern women will not like this. Selfish, insecure media indoctrinated modern men will not like this. Such men and women can't even seriously hear this. They will not submit to truth and authority. Verse 20, let's move on. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is a pervasive theme in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. This is what children are called to do, right? Buy them a nice phone, maybe something like that. I don't know. Give them a nice phone. Who are children? Children that are still in the house. We're not talking about adult children. Adult children are not under their parents anymore, but adult children do what? They honor their parents always. See, this is, this is just God's diagram for the family. Submit yourself to one another, husband and wife, right? And children submit to parental 
authority. This is a really big deal with God, this, this, this children thing, submitting to parental authority. Disobedience to parents is listed in Romans 1 when the Lord catalogs the sin of those he's given over to a depraved mind. Disobedience to parents. In another place, 2 Timothy 3, the Lord talks about the evils of the last day. He talks about disobedience to parents. So children and parents of children know what God expects of you as a parent and what you need to train your child to do to respect you, to respect parental authority. If, if you don't teach your child to respect parental authority, they will never, or they, let me just say it this way. You've put them at a severe dis disadvantage to ever respect God's authority. So this matters a lot. It's why God has a lot to say about it. Uh, three or four times in the Proverbs, it says, do not spare the rod. In fact, God says that to spare the rod is to hate your child. Now, again, I could be arrested in some countries for saying this, I think. Right? <laughs> God says, don't spare the rod. We know what that means. We lovingly discipline our children. We don't abuse our children. This is just, these are just false accusations from the evil one. Okay, let's finish up verse 22 to 4 uh, through chapter 4, verse 1. Let me just read this. Again, submission to truth and authority. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. So, you know, even in our employment, right? It's about God. Your employment's not about you. Your employment's about God. Don't you love it? It's always simple. What, what's important today? How many guesses do you need? God. What's important today in my, in my, in my marriage, in my family, in my work? It's God. It's always God. If we call ourselves Bible believers. Verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he, verse 25, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. And that without partiality. Verse chapter four, verse one. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So God is speaking to one who is in authority and one who is under authority. The one who is in authority, we're, we're, we're treating those under us as we would want to be treated in a way that honors God. Those who are under authority are submitting to that authority, right? Again, the qualification is always, unless there's some kind of uh, abuse issue or, or some some issue of being commanded to do that which is contrary to the expressed will and word of God. Ephesians 6, we don't just seek to please men. Here it is, Ephesians 6, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but we are slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, right? This is what our work is. You say, my work's not fun, Jim. It's a hard thing. I have to, it's difficult. Well, it's about God. 
That's all I'm saying to you. You don't have to like it. But it's what God says. Your work is about... God, I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse. He says, work from the heart for your real master, which is God. Uh, I couldn't help but think of Joseph, right? He had every right to complain. But even in slavery and unjust imprisonment, he applied himself and honored God in his work. So, in God's providence, whether we're the president of a company or a galley slave, we are called to do our, heart, our work heartily as unto the Lord. He is our master. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit reminds us that this is a consequence uh, for those who disobey God in this. There is a consequence. He will bring discipline to his children without partiality. So in closing, uh, in the first two chapters of Colossians, the Holy Spirit tells us that we are not saved by religion or philosophy. We are saved by God. We made the point last week. God, if you are saved, God has saved you. You don't need the religious hardware to be attached. We are saved by God. And then chapter 3, again, the Holy Spirit is calling us to a reasonable, reasonable response of the radical grace that Jesus Christ has shown to us. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, well, if it's easy, do it. If it's convenient, do it. If you feel like, do it. If you feel like it. He says, do it. <laughs> do the Word of God. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll what? Yeah, you'll keep my commandments. So I'm done. Wives, be subject to your husbands and everything as church is subject to Christ. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ has loved the church. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things as is pleasing to the Lord. And one under authority, obey and serve your earthly masters heartily as unto the Lord. The one in authority, grant justice and fairness to your earthly servants. It all comes down to truth and authority. What are you going to do with it? I think you've heard what God has said tonight in these particular areas. I pray that you can joyfully submit to the truth and authority of God's Word.